2: You're listening to the Cobras and Fire Podcast,
3: part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Army, with special guest, Ron Keel. Over and Fire. Of course, my name is Vaco, and I'm pretty pumped about today's episode. You see, when I was 15 years old and dealing with a wicked stepmother, the way I would handle a lot of those stressful situations was I would just hole up in my bedroom and listen to some rock and roll and hide and get lost in uh, Circus Magazine and album liner notes. And one of the first bands that I got into after Kiss around, the time, around my teenage years, junior high, high school, was Keel. And I had the pleasure of sitting down and having a pretty long chat with lead singer Ron Keel about so many things throughout his career and of course we we talk about what's going on in the Ron Keel world right now and he touches on the the Atlanta Kiss Expo coming up here at the end of January and so many other things if you're a fan of the 80s if you're a fan of Keel you're gonna love this he's one of the most charming and energetic and self-promoting people I've ever had the opportunity to sit down and, and chat with so without further ado I give you my interview with Ron
1: Baco
3: it is. All right. I'm here with Ron Keel of, uh, well, the band Keel, of course. And Ron, uh, uh, we were just chatting a little bit. This is kind of a, a big moment for me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for your time.
1: Hey, it's an honor for me. Uh, the Decibel Geek Empire has been very kind to me through the twists and turns of my career and very supportive. So I'm always glad to talk to you guys and uh, keep you up to date on what's going on. And there is a lot going on.
3: Right on, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, I I think your career is one that should be discussed, or careers like yours even, they should be discussed a little more because they're a little more real uh, as far as, like, I mean, there's a lot more – of people who you know, just you kind of just hustled your way, you know, from basically year to year, project to project, staying active, staying busy. You know, it wasn't that one big home run in, you know, your, your private jets and, you know, people opening doors for you the rest of your life.
1: Well, there's a lot to be said for longevity. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in the baseball theory. You can't hit one out of the park unless you're still swinging. So I've, I've always <laughs> stayed active. I've never had uh, a time in my life. I, I did retire for three weeks in uh 1999 and uh drove me crazy and i got right back on stage <laughs> okay <laughs> that would have been right after the when, when was the keel reunion was that 98 that was uh back in action yeah well not really a reunion but we got back together to finish some demos and uh compiled some unreleased tracks in 1997 98 for our uh, back in action album just really a a way for us to reconnect, keep the fires burning, because the guys in Keele and I have always remained good friends. Uh, we've worked together on other projects, jammed together when we had the chance. No bad blood, no ugly divorces, so to speak. So <laughs> yeah. we stayed tight and we stayed friends. And that 98 uh, Back in Action album, I think, probably planted the seed for the reunion that was to come okay. 10 years later in 2008.
3: You know, you, you talk about no bad blood. I, I've, you know... Uh, over the years, heard plenty of interviews from you. I don't know that I've ever heard you not be upbeat or positive. Do you have like uh, a bad, you know, uh, feeling about anybody that you've ever worked with? Well, life's too short, man. You know, I, I always try
1: and find the positives in everything, every experience that we've been through. has okay. made us who we are, and and uh, it's it's a journey. It's an evolution. And yeah, there's, there's people that, uh, that I'm not real fond of, but okay. there's no use in rehashing that in the media. And most of them are not guys that I played with. Okay. I try to keep a, a positive relationship. Even, I mean, Yngwie Momstein of course, comes to mind. We, uh, <laughs> we started our careers kind of together. where I was going. I, I kind of figured that. Uh, there's uh, some history there. In 1983, our first album was the Steeler album. Uh, mm-hmm. His first record and mine. And uh, got our careers both kickstarted, and uh, there has been some, some trash talking, uh, especially back in the day in '85. But even then, I think uh, more was made out of it than than it really was. Ingve uh, had a mission; he came to America to, to accomplish some goals, and I had some goals to accomplish as well. And that first album helped us both uh, get that journey started.
3: And if I, um, if correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was you actually kind of had Steeler hooked up with Mike Varney before Ingvi was involved, right?
1: Mike was willing to sign the band and put out our first album if we had the right guitar player.
3: Okay, because that's the, so, the, that's the thing with uh, Shrapnel is almost all shredders. You know what I mean? I thought it was a little odd that uh, your project kind of, you know, especially. Because Keel kind of took off, took off more than Steeler did, so for fans like me, I we had to dig back and go find it, and you know to see it on Shrapnel Records, which was largely you know doing your, I don't know your Jason. Be- I, mean, I, I don't want you know what I'm talking about. That whole roster of guitar uh, army that he had, Mike Varney had. Um, so, but it, it was kind of like a, 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 an arranged marriage in a sense with Ingvae and you.
1: Well, no, it was my decision. Um, Mike gave me a lot of options. When I went to visit him on New Year's Day, 1983, we went to his apartment and uh, literally had mountains of cassette tapes from all of the hot guitar players around the world. I mean, if you wanted to make it as a rock guitar player in 1983, the the first step was to send Mike Varney your demo. So he had a a lot of options. Uh, We listened to a bunch of different players and they all kind of sounded the same. We put on the Ingve Momstein cassette, and I knew that there was something special there. Obviously, the guy was amazing, and he had taken it to another level. He was just 18 years old, and uh, I said, well, yeah, I want this guy, and uh, so it was my decision. Mike uh, facilitated that decision, opened the door for us, so to speak, but um, he didn't say, you have to play with this guy. I could have picked any one of those guys that Mike was was keen on at the time, and we would have made a a great album, I'm sure, but... uh, that combination of Ingve's playing and my songs was, uh, I think, a special memory for a lot of people. That that uh, that still to this day, they 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 tell me, "Man, I'm your biggest fan." I got that <laughs> Steeler record. Well, yeah, come on, I was 35 years ago, but I appreciate it. And it, you know, it is a a cornerstone of the genre, uh, a very important album in that era. Mm-hmm. So I'm proud to be a part of it. That's a great record. I
3: mean, but. How many copies do you think you, that, that actually sold? I mean, it was on a pretty independent label. It was hard for me to find, I know. I don't think I got it till the late 80s.
1: Well, I know that I made a lot of money off of it. Uh, <laughs> okay. I know that Mike, Mike Varney went from an apartment to a mansion. Uh, and oh, so probably better than you I'm figure, thinking. You figure even if you sold uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand, which I, I, I'm guessing. I don't have the exact figures, okay. but that's... Uh, that's a, a at one point it was the biggest selling independent metal release of all time. So uh, it was uh, a cult classic, and the fact is it's always stayed in print. It's always been available. Uh, maybe it hasn't been promoted as much uh, as it as it could have been, but it has been available and sold consistently through the years.
3: Right on um, the the Black Sabbath kind of thing. That that would fall right between Steeler and Keel. What about was that? It was. It okay. was
1: actually, uh, I was in the studio at Pasha Studios in Hollywood where Spencer Proffer had just recorded Quiet Riot's 10 million selling debut. <laughs> and so Spencer was the hot guy in town and yeah. I was sneaking into the studio at night to, uh, to sing demos and he heard my voice and he had signed on to produce the next Sabbath album after Ian Gillen left. And he recruited me for the vocal position in Black Sabbath at that time. I was just putting Keel together. They kind of overlapped. I mean, Mark Ferrari, my guitar player in Keel, was at the last Steeler gig. And we all knew it was the last gig. And I was already putting the pieces together to form my own band and call it Keel. So there was uh, that brief time, literally a matter of weeks in between, where Black Sabbath uh, came knocking and of course, uh, when an iconic metal band like that yeah. shows interest, you've got to answer the call. So uh, I, I have fond memories of basically sitting around with Tony, Iommi, and Geezer Butler for three days, uh, and they were trying to figure out how they could get Ozzy back.
3: Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it probably worked out best for you. Um, that was not exactly the a good time for Black Sabbath, so... Um, well, you
1: know, I don't know. I think if I had come and if I had, had the opportunity to actually uh, do an album and a tour with them, who knows what might have been. So, fair enough. Uh, yeah, it was a tough time for, for, for them uh, with some of the transitions they went through thereafter, but uh, I, I still get to live that dream on this new project, Emerald Sabbath, that is uh, composed of former members of Sabbath. Beth Bevan uh, plays yeah. drums on some of the tracks. Uh, Vinnie a big part of the project, and uh, Dave Walker, a uh, couple of co- some ex-Sabbath members and some members of the extended Sabbath family. Yep. And uh, it's a great, great album. I just finished uh, my final cut on that record. It's uh, I, and the cool thing was I got to sing uh, an Aussie song, "Hole in the Sky." Ooh. Nice. I got to sing a Gian Gillan song, "Trashed," off Born Again, and I got to sing a Ronnie James Dio track. Uh, Die Young from Heaven and Hell so a uh, huge thrill to be a part of that on this track Die Young I mean it's me on vocals Vinnie Appice on drums Rudy Sarzo on bass and the Ron Keel band guitarist D.C. Cawthorn on lead guitar so uh, it's it's as close as I'll ever get to recording the <laughs> Sabbath and I was really proud to, to go in there and nail that Ronnie James Dio part and just try and do it justice because Ronnie was a friend of mine and somebody who we all looked up to and idolized and who had a big influence on not just the singers, but uh, the entire genre and the culture of hard rock and metal. So to to be able to go in the studio and cut uh, that song in Ronnie's memory was a huge thrill. And I can't wait to, to unleash that album later this year. Uh, it's called Emerald Sabbath. And uh, it's, it's an all star Black Sabbath tribute record that uh, people are going to really enjoy.
3: Right on. Uh, and just. Major kudos to everything you just said about Ronnie. He was great. Absolutely. Uh, with uh, you know one of, the, by the time I remember there was a lot of promotion for the Right to Rock the album and stuff. I saw the cover on the magazine pages. I I'm pretty sure I bought the the, the album before I ever heard anything. I just something visually struck it with me. I was you know. In that, it was a really good time for me to, to uh, experiment in music and, and stuff, you know. But you knew something was gonna be good when people were talking about the music video on the on the school bus ride to work, and that "Right to Rock" video I remember was one that you know got everybody talking on the way into school. So, uh, what are your memories of of shooting that video and that whole? Do you know the kids still? Who <laughs> I do?
1: Mar- Mar- Marcelo <laughs> Krakoff. His name is Marcelo Krakoff. He's a grown. He's obviously a grown man yeah. now. He's an old man. Uh, he's like 10 years younger than me, but uh, <laughs> uh, still still friends with Marcelo. He actually came on stage with us in Phoenix. Uh, when was it? Uh, probably 2011, maybe okay. uh, seven or eight years ago, and sang the right to rock with us. So, yeah, he's a, he's a good guy and uh, great memories of, of all of that stuff, man, the stuff you just mentioned. Circus Magazine comes out, and there's the full-page ad mm-hmm. with Gene Simmons, produced by Gene Simmons. Yep. You got it. The Right to Rock, that album cover, that graphic, uh, just really uh, spoke volumes to a legion, uh, a generation of metal fans and hard rockers uh, that, that wanted to fight for that right to rock. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it was during the PMRC
3: movement and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, well, that that, that didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. I'm telling you, the uh, the album had kind of peaked. And was falling off the charts when Tipper Gore and her minions decided <laughs> they wanted to censor uh, rock lyrics and albums and such. And we re-released the single at that time. And Gene Simmons and I went on a media tour to fight for the right to rock, so to speak. And the record ended up selling even more and, and climbing back up the charts thanks to Tipper Gore and her uh, her movement.
3: <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have uh, any type of relationship with Gene Simmons still?
1: Yeah, I saw him last year, and uh, every time I do see him, uh, he he just wraps me up in a big, strong bear hug. There is uh, a lot of love and a lot of uh, positive energy between Gene and I, and uh, I have nothing but great memories of what we, what we did together, and still, to this day, the lessons that he taught me. Every time I'm doing a session, and I've done dozens of albums and singles and sessions and tribute and recordings and... Everything that I've done the last thirty-something years, Gene is li- literally sitting there on my shoulder, uh, you know, with with the advice that he gave me, the the training uh, on, on producing, how to make a great record.
3: Ahead to the self-titled Keel record, which I remember at the time, there just seemed to be like this real, almost um, urgency to that. The, the way, this was the the one that was going to do it, or it was it was wasn't
1: going to happen. Is that how you would remember that record? Absolutely, it was our last chance. Uh, of course, when you're that age and you're uh, riding high on the Billboard charts and, and on tour with Bon Jovi, you think it's never going to end. The reality is it's a business, and uh, there was some sense of urgency because the label had put a lot of money into Keel and uh, Mm -hmm. the pressure was on, so to speak, and it's a great record. The Michael Michael Wagner production, you know, breaking away from Gene, uh, maybe, you know, for better or for worse, People love both of those albums. The Final Frontier from '86 has a special place in in our hearts and in our fans' hearts. Mm-hmm. And that '87 record has some great hit songs, like "I Said the Wrong Thing to the Right Girl" and "Cherry Lane." And you know, there's there's some hit songs on that album. Somebody's so waiting. Somebody's waiting as well. Yeah, uh, big song for us. And unfortunately, you know, that album never got the second single. Uh, "Somebody's Waiting" came out and. Uh, that was it. We didn't follow it up with Cherry Lane or said the wrong thing to the right girl. Given a couple of more shots, I think that record could have sold uh, multi-platinum and put us where we needed to be.
3: Now, was that a label decision to kind of pull the plug on that? or As far yeah, as not got, doing a second I, single?
1: It was. Yeah, Everything's the label's decision at that point in your career. Uh, as a consolation prize, they threw us a bone and did the Dudes movie soundtrack, which is a great cut. Rock and Roll Outlaw. from Oh, the I love dogs. that song. The soundtrack was great, man. We had uh, Jane's Addiction, Wasp, Steve Vai, Megadeth, Kiel, <laughs> and MCA couldn't even sell that. So what oh, What, did ra- our what movie was had? that on, by the way? Uh... The movie was called
3: Dudes. Yes, there we go.
1: Yeah, and uh, we're looking at uh, perhaps a reissue of that film this year, I know Penelope is uh, trying to make that happen, so... Are you in um, it a little bit, or...? Just the song. The song's in it twice. Okay. But we got to use all the cool outtakes from the the movie in the the music video, so I got to shoot and (laughs) flirt with saloon girls and wear a cowboy hat, and that really was the genesis of the metal cowboy. Uh, Is it true that on the Bon Jovi tour, um,
3: John uh, told you you had to play uh, uh, the Springsteen song? Um, uh, Shoot, uh... You know the one I'm talking about. Because the night. Because the night. Sorry about that. Where did you hear that? Oh, shit. (laughs) Man, honestly, over over the years, uh, maybe it was Metal Sludge. It might have been.
1: Yeah. Perhaps it was my book, Even Keel, Life on the Streets Rock and Roll, available at ronkeel.com. But, uh, yeah. And on Um, Amazon, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Use the decibel Geek Geek link. (laughs) the, uh, The focus at that point was... We really got to sell records. Uh, we're out on tour with Bon Jovi. We have to really focus mm-hmm. on the new album and play all those songs live. and uh, so and you're doing a forty minute set. So the only song from the previous era in the show was the Right to Rock. And John came up to me, John Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. You might have heard of him. Uh, he bit. came up to me after the first show and said, put because the night in the show or you're off the tour so (laughs) i said okay (laughs) And i mean it's a great song it's still in my show to this day and we've recorded a new version of that for the ron keel band album uh coming out this summer and you know it's it's a big part of my career and a great song great story about how we chose to record that song and uh i pitched it to gene because he produced that final frontier album in 86 we wanted to do a cover song and Gene wanted us to do the Sonny and Cher classic, The Beat Goes On. And uh-huh. Gene had worked up a demo of, uh, you know, because Gene always had a thing for Cher. And uh, he worked up a demo, and it wasn't half bad. I mean, it was it was rocking. Go, 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 and the beat goes on. And Gene Simmons singing Sonny and Cher. He plays oh, yeah. it for me. And I said, well, Gene, that's pretty cool. But check this out. I played him my demo of Because of the Night. And he just said, Okay, sounds great, let's do it. It was just a, a perfect song for us at, at at the right time, but a very, very bad call to be the first single from the Final Frontier album, because it literally was the first video and uh-huh. single after The Right to Rock. And the fans thought immediately that we were selling out, going commercial, trying to get a hit with a cover song, and that was nothing could have been further from the truth. We were just Covering a song just like we did on the previous album, we covered the Stones' "Let's Spend the Night Together." And mm-hmm. if I'd have known it, it would have been the first single, I probably wouldn't have cut it.
3: Yeah, and it even—I I have you know—I was—I remember at the time thinking, "What happened? Where's my band?" You know, I—I yeah. I, I, I learned to to love that album a lot and that version of that song. But being the lead, the first video that I saw, and I'm like, "Whoa!" You know, I was—I was, I was nervous. The side, that
1: was, that was Career Suicide. It was the biggest mistake that anyone associated with my career has ever made. Uh, a, a crippling blow, so to speak. And a great tune. But that first single, that's got to be something that establishes mm-hmm. your identity. Like Rock and Roll Animal or you know, something powerful, something raised on rock. So one of those songs that kept the rock, right to rock tradition. And uh, then you ease the fans into the other stuff that's on the record and show them that there's more sides to this coin than just the screaming metal there's uh, there's a lot of great diverse music on that final frontier album and some very very heavy metal like no pain no gain arm and a leg rock and roll animal uh but uh, that because the night song while the wound is healed uh i don't know (laughs) that we ever fully recovered
3: sure um i i i guess i get that but uh um well fuck it what can you do
1: well, the guy said uh, Richard Palmese, we head head of A&R for MCA, and they're they're dumping millions into the band, and they were, you know, just just trust me, you're going to be a rock star. Just shut up and trust me, do what we say, and it's going to be just fine. okay, it's all good. And yeah. uh, then, you know, he he literally he he sent memos to his staff, everyone in that big building there in, in California, kill for Keel. That was MCA Records motto, kill for Keel. Well. I think he, you know, I think the four, F-O-R word, got uh, eliminated and it said kill keel because uh, that's what they did. The MCA did stand for Music Cemetery of America after all. Ah, uh, <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. How yeah. did it end up going from A&M to MCA? We were a bastard child. You know, we were adopted. We were somebody else's baby. And that was a it was a problem <laughs> because we had some juice. We had some leverage. We had some uh, momentum after the right to rock and, and I had Gene Simmons and so anytime that we were spending a, way too much money on something like the album cover uh, that Final Frontier album cover it was $15,000 which at the time was a huge amount of money uh-huh. and uh, MCA was used to just taking a picture of the artist and slapping the picture on the cover and it you know, cost him 200 bucks, and there's your <laughs> album cover and I said Gene I need some help with this one because uh, I'm going to get some blowback so Gene walks into the boardroom there at MCA, carrying the uh, original album artwork covered up, with, you know, with a sheet over it. And walks in with all these, all the head honchos and, and execs, and you know, all the staff at MCA Records. Gene puts that artwork on an easel, and he unveils it, and he looks at them and says, "This is your album cover, and it's going to cost you fifteen thousand dollars." And they said, "Okay." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Anytime I needed some muscle or a button pushed, Man Gene was always there for me. Right on. Huh?
3: Uh, give me a little bit on fair game. I don't know much about that. You were with uh, you? Were you the lead singer of an all-girl band? Yeah, you
1: should read the book, man. If you're a big if you're a big Ron Keel fan, you really should read the book. Even Keel: Life on the Streets of Rock and Roll. I'll the tell you what story you, of All of these projects. Uh, and you have uh, been yeah, so fair nice game to would... me
3: tonight that when we're done talking, I'm gonna head to Amazon and buy it tonight. Is it a Kindle? Well, Can I download it right away, or or should I wait for the? You know, I kind of like the hard copy. So
1: no, go ahead and do the ebook, man. We're sold out of the hard copy. Okay, yeah. well... saving all my stock for the kids' convention this weekend. Fair enough. <laughs> no, um, so fair game. Fair game was you know at the time, I easily could have put together. Uh, you know, four or five long haired guys and, and call it Keel. It was my name. I could have kept it going. And Gene was telling me at the time, Gene Simmons, Ron, you should call it Keel. It's your name. <laughs> it's your band. Call it Keel. Every, every band I've ever been in. So to this day, Gene says, Ron, it's your name. You should call it Keel. But I felt like it was, you know, what, what I had accomplished with uh, Mark Ferrari and Brian Jane, Dwayne Miller and those guys. Was a special brotherhood, and I did not want to just keep rehashing that with different guys. Uh, so I found four amazing, gorgeous LA rock chicks that could play. <laughs> I mean, these girls could really play. And uh, put a band together, called it Fair Game. The entire, you know, it was a three year journey with that project. Oh, really? Some, Great tunes. Some of my best vocals, and I was finally coming into my own as a songwriter and as a singer after all I'd learned or been through or experienced in Kiel being a signed act. And all of a sudden, uh, Nirvana happened, Pearl Jam happened, and the focus of the industry and our listeners and fans was elsewhere. So it was uh, an uphill battle during the early 90s. I applaud some of those late 80s early 90s bands that did have some success like firehouse or xyz because at that time man it was getting tougher and tougher to get a break so uh that made their success that much more uh credible in my in my opinion xyz and firehouse come to mind but there were a few others as well but it was a tough time to uh to be a long-haired uh a hair hair metal or hard rock band in in los angeles because the tide had turned
3: yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, speaking of your songwriting, I did have a question. Have you ever been to church in the nude?
1: No, I, I have not. <laughs> uh, uh, just it rhymes with yeah, a lot uh, of cool other words. So, <laughs> screwed, tattooed. in a yeah. church
0: in the nude. Uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> I'll probably drop a snippet of that. I'll just drop that line right here. Rude, screwed. There was one moment, like, oh, I want to say 92, 93, 94. Maybe you can explain this better than I am, because I'm going literally off the moment memory of that time. But I saw you on MTV, so I don't know if it was like a uh, where are they now kind of segment, but you were on a pickup with an acoustic guitar, and you were calling yourself Ronnie Lee Keel. And I remember some of my friends gave me grief, because, like, oh, see, so he's a country boy now. And uh, you did go country for a little bit, but do you remember doing something for MTV?
1: Yeah, it was a... Uh where are they now? Special. It was okay. at the time one of their highest-rated. Where are they now? Specials, and still, <laughs> obviously, you're still talking about it today. Yeah, no, um, I remember. A big it, man. impression on a lot of people, and uh, that uh, people did not understand at the time. I think now it's a much more I was just going to acceptable say. for for an artist to explore some different territory. You were ahead of but, your time. Man, hey, man, and I, you know all those people that you know flip me off mentally or whatever you know, <laughs> the, the fact is that before Keel, before Steeler I won awards for playing jazz music oh. I grew up playing the blues and jazz and I grew up in a time when you could hear the Eagles and Black Sabbath on the same radio station I didn't have that kind of prejudice uh, I love metal I love jazz I love blues I love music and to me Uh, I don't understand the backlash of trying to reinvent yourself. Uh, God forbid it would have happened to to my idols, like the Beatles, David Bowie, the Stones. Those those acts, those artists kept reinventing themselves over and over again. And it it caused them to have the same longevity as as I'd like to have. You know, I'd like to be around for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. And explore a lot of different territory, and and uh, country music saved my life, man. I mean, at the time when all of my friends in 1992, we were all screwed, man. It was we we were no longer the coolest guys on the planet. We were a joke. We were a laughing stock. Nobody could get a gig, and it, it even affected the big bands like Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Scorpions, Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah, Bon Jovi
3: our, went away for a while.
1: It, it affected all of us, uh, and. I had an outlet. I had a place to go that was a soft place to land, a comfortable place where I could write songs, sing, entertain people, make money, and pour my heart out, singing songs about real life, really good music with great players, songs in television and films, world tours, uh, VH1 and MTV specials. <laughs> so, you know, I'm absolutely, people understand it a lot more now. I think than, than they did at the time uh because i was the first now of course brett michaels or john bon jovi or whoever they all have country songs yeah no um, i think it's, uh, it's a tyler did a country album uh jeff keith from tesla you know went country quote went so singer from you know, stained I, yeah exactly and aaron does a great a great job that guy, that guy sitting on a stool with a guitar and his voice in his songs that's powerful stuff man so uh the only thing was i did it first and I did it. Big. I didn't just do it. I did it on a a grand scale, headlining rodeos, roadhouses, world tours. I did Europe uh, twice uh, with a, a country act, and uh, had forty or fifty big song placements in television and films, movies, uh, and TV shows like The X Files and King of the Hill, and, and such as a, as a country singer songwriter. So uh, I'm very proud of those accomplishments and. You know, what I found out at the end of the day or at the end of the era, at the end of the nineties, was mm-hmm. that I wasn't uh, entirely comfortable in that genre either. Because they have a just like metal or rock or hair metal, they have a, a certain coat of a stand a code of standards that you have to fit in a box somewhere. You have to wear a certain type of clothing and say a certain type of thing in your interview and act a certain way and play certain types of songs or whatever. Uh, so I wasn't exactly comfortable in country either. Um, but I did learn a lot, especially about songwriting and about singing from the heart, singing songs about real life and being able to sit with a guitar and nothing else. No bells, no whistles, no lights, no smoke, no pyro. Just you and your song and your voice and your guitar make somebody feel something so that that uh, those are some great lessons that I learned that I bring to life now as the metal cowboy, because I've got one foot on either side of the fence, one foot firmly planted in metal and the other side firmly planted in cow shit. And uh, <laughs> so I, I'm very, very comfortable in my own skin now with uh, a very hard and heavy brand of outlaw country, southern rock, call it what you will. But it's metal cowboy music and I'm right, at, right where I need to be. Well, let's kind of get
3: to the more current stuff then. Uh is is Keel doing anything anymore like Monsters of Rock cruises or anything like that? Just a couple one-off well, shows like,
1: for a journalist? Baco for a journalist. Uh, geek, <laughs> hey, I'm trying you to set that the listeners don't
3: always know the answer, Ron.
1: You, you are sorely out of the loop. You know damn well about monsters of rock. Yeah. Cruise. So, 28 days from now. Yeah. I know I, you got to know that. Yeah, Keel. I'm is,
3: leaving that in. You're giving me shit, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, yeah. the uh, the monsters of rock cruise. This is cruise number six for me, and uh, Keel has been a part of uh, the cruise. Events like M3, Rock, Oklahoma, did our first headline tour of Europe. Uh, we're not, quote, active, but for a couple of hours next month on the Monsters of Rock Cruise, we're going to be extremely active. Trust me. I've, uh cabins still available or not sold out? As of yesterday, there were 18 cabins still available. Yeah, so uh, I was very surprised to hear that. Probably some last-minute cancellations okay. or... People that didn't come through with the the balance of their their passage, or I'm not sure how that works, but because I, I actually get paid to go on the cruise. Yeah. But, uh, now you've done them before are, though, right? Uh, this is cruise number six for me. Okay. Yes.
3: Now, so do you? Um, are you more reclusive, or do you kind of hang out and mingle and just chat with people?
1: No, dude. I am. It. I am doing a meet and greet from the first cup of coffee. Till the last shot of Jim Beam, all day long, you'll find me all over that ship in the elevator with cool. my guitar singing to people as they're going up and down in the <laughs> elevator. Uh, no, I am there for the people, and uh, I know some guys just stay in their cabin, order room service.
0: That's not zone.
1: that's not how I roll. I uh, I enjoy that interaction with our people and our fans, and I think that's one reason why I've enjoyed such a resurgence these last uh, ten years or so. I've because I've made friends and fans one at a time out there on, on the streets, on the cruises, on the road, at the meet and greet after the show. I'm the, you know, I'm all about that, and I enjoy that process. And uh, it's it's part of my job, to, uh, <laughs> to to hang with those people and give them a memory that uh, that makes them smile, that makes them have a good time. They're they're there to be entertained, and I do enjoy that aspect of it. So you'll find me whether it's the cruise or any other gig that I do. I always try and be as accessible as I possibly can.
3: Very yeah, and that's great. I I mean, uh, it's okay for the ones that don't want to do it, but it's it's so good for the fans when there are artists that do want to mingle and stuff. So you don't. It doesn't sound like you get like uh, too much, you know, of a mob thing coming at you. It's 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 manageable because everybody knows that hey, we're all here to kind of. It's more laid back. Is kind of where I'm going.
1: Yeah, uh, on on those events. There have still been some some mob scenes from time to time. <laughs> the bigger the crowd, I mean... The drunker. And, you know, this can happen even if people don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. I was at an arena show, uh, and the lights come on. And it's, the opening act is done, and the lights come on. And I'm down on the floor by the soundboard, and four or five people recognize me and say, hey, man, Ron Keel, can I have your autograph? And I was, sure, of course, and I'll sign an autograph, take a picture. Yeah. And then everybody in the arena is looking down and going, Who's that guy? That guy must be somebody. <laughs> let's go down there. You know, they don't know who I am. I've seen it. All I've witnessed of a sudden that. I'm getting mobbed and I've literally got hundreds of people around me and I'm going, Man, this is really cool. These people really like me. And I, I finally I get there's no way. No way. And I asked some guys, says, Do you know who I am? He goes, No, man, but you must be somebody. Everybody else wants your picture or your autographs. I said, All right, that's enough. Let's uh, let's hit the dressing room. Yeah uh you know i enjoy that i, I can handle it bring it on uh, the people i mean that's why we get into this business in the first place from our kids you know you're, you're 10 years old or 15 years old and you, you just want to be liked you want we want people to hear and see what you do and think it's cool you know so that's that's if, if we didn't want to be liked then why the hell are we doing this
3: absolutely um uh, I know the the whole Badlands Pawn Empire kind of uh it's it's getting shutting down. Are you still in South Dakota right now or I yeah, I
1: live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and this is my home now for good. My wife and I moved here 3 years ago for that Badlands project and it's been uh, a great a great place to build the Ron Keel band and relaunch our new radio station K-Back. Oh, is that uh you, you,
3: tell me a little bit about that. I know k went down. Where what's uh, going on?
1: They pulled the plug on September 20-something last year. and uh, It was very abrupt and uh, surprising to us because we were the number one rock station three ratings periods in a row. Oh, I know. I mean, it was
3: a great station, by the way. I, I streamed it quite a bit.
1: Well, you should stream kback.rocks. K B A C krocks uh, That's our new internet station. We are streaming now and going live on January 29th with the same DJ staff, regular shows, uh, the morning show 7 to 10 with Crash and Crazy Frank. I'm on from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with Midday Mayhem and then The Rev, who is also the drummer in the Ron Keel Band, on the air after that from 2 to 6 p.m. daily. And it's, uh, yeah, it's online. It's no longer broadcast uh, on an FM signal, but like people like yourself, anybody 20 miles away from us isn't going to get that FM signal anyway. Right. You know, the future of rock radio is online, and we have had an amazing uh, response from our listeners who followed us. They missed us. We missed them. They're still on board, those uh, th- those people uh, across this great nation who tuned in, cranked it up, and enjoyed it. And it, it is more of the same. An extended playlist, over 6,000 songs, uh, personalities, rock star interviews, contests, giveaways, and uh, just uh, everything that we can possibly do to entertain people. Of course, there are links to that and all of my other projects at ronkeel.com. But the <laughs> website for the streaming live is kback.rocks. You can find us on the Live 365 mobile app and on TuneIn Radio as well.
3: Right on. So make sure you check that out if you're listening. <phone rings> oh. You got to get it. for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, are we good we are good oh, okay all good. right well why don't you uh break down the t- tell break down who's in the oh, band
1: hold on. It's, it's tony i calling he wants he wants to put the band back together oh sweet well, i'm kidding <laughs> scoop <laughs> next question yeah really next question uh, we yeah, about yeah the tell the me EMP, who's in the band
3: then? who's in the band what band the ron keel band
1: Well, I've got Gino Arce, uh, who also goes as El Diablo on bass. Gino's been with me for 20 years now, and is also the bass player in Kiel. He was the bass player in Iron Horse. We've done we've done uh, thousands of shows together these last 20 years, and there's lots more where that came from. A uh, couple of Midwest Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota rock and roll Hall of Famers. Uh, All right, the Rev on drums and. Uh, Dakota Scott on keys and the guitar player who was the original guitar player in the Ron Keel band uh, four years ago now, D.C. Cawthorn on lead guitar. As I mentioned earlier, he played on that Black Sabbath Die Young track with Rudy Sarzo and Vinnie Appice and me. So these guys have been uh, through hell and back for me. Most of us, uh, Gino and Dave, D.C. especially, uh, moved to Sioux Falls to put this band together and to be the Badlands House Band. Uh, When that didn't work out, we had, uh, you know, we built something pretty strong and, and a very special unit, a great great group of guys. So, uh, there was no choice but to keep it together and keep moving forward.
3: You guys, I mean, I know you you actually played uh, my hometown, Owatonna, Minnesota, last summer. Uh, do you guys get around a lot? I, I, uh, good, you know, like little week. Um, how would you tour a band like that at this point? I guess
1: I will go wherever they send us. Whoever's got the, you know, all reasonable offers were accepted. Uh, We've done a lot of great events like Sturgis Bike Rally, yeah. a lot of fairs, festivals, casino dates. Um, toured with Tesla last year, and uh, I anticipate a lot more where that came from. Uh, you, you play when you can, where you can, and how however you can. I mean, uh, economically, it's always a factor, mm-hmm. but the Midwest is a great, great hotbed of beer drinking, hard rocking, hard partying, hard working, all American rockers that love to have a good time. So it's a great place for us to be located. Uh, we do have shows coming up this year from coast to coast. Uh, I can tell you right now, we're we're going to be uh, doing some big shows now that we're on EMP Records, uh, Dave Ellison's label, releasing mm-hmm. our debut album Fight Like a Band later this year. So there are lots of offers pouring in now, and we'll be coast to coast here uh, by summertime. You still, uh, is Michael, uh, uh, is it
3: Finland or something like that? He's a local guy here in Minnesota. Uh, I thought he was working with you a little bit with the Badlands House Band. Does he do anything with you still, or am I just wrong? Mike Finley.
1: Yes, Mike Finley. He's my coach. He's our agent, and uh, also the legendary Chainsaw. Yes. uh, The the Midwest Legends Slave Raider. (laughs) I love that band. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Mike's a big part of what we do. Did you guys ever work together uh,
3: back in the day in the 80s?
1: No, I just met Mike when uh, we were uh, put together for the Badlands Project. We developed a a, a strong bond. Uh, He's heavily responsible for uh, a lot of our Midwest success here. He's he's given us an opportunity to, to go out and tour with Hairball a lot. And those guys play for you know three to five thousand people a night. Yep. So to be able to get on the bill with them and, and hammer it home in the Midwest has been a huge plus for us. Uh, and Mike is uh, you know very instrumental in the original direction of the band, the vision, the uh, you know it was funny we, we sat down at our first meeting and uh, he was in charge. He's he's the entertainment director and he's the quote manager and agent for the Badlands House Band. Oh, so right on. Okay. He could have said. I want you guys to dress up in these pink tutus and go out to a puppet (laughs) show. And we would have had to do it because he said so. Uh, So he he had a lot of power. And he sits down at that first meeting with me. And he's got the eye patch. He's a really imposing character. He looks across the table at me. We're having lunch. He says, I want you guys to be the American rock and roll cowboys. And I go, this but is going to work out just fine. I was going to say that <laughs> so, had to
3: resonate pretty easily with you. I, I would. Assume. Oh yeah,
1: it was uh, it was perfect. He had the same vision that I had. Uh, we started building the song list and the image, and the you know we've got you know it, it, it is a, a theatrical type of show. Uh, there are some effects and costumes and things and, and medleys of songs, very much a show band, uh, and also depending on the event or the the uh, the performance. We'll throw in a lot of keel, you know. We'll uh, we'll do the Ooh. keel medley. We open the show with the right to rock, um, and uh, we, the, the right to rock goes right into the Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings classic, "Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys," <laughs> and trust me, it works perfectly. Uh, that I mean, literally, that's the first two songs in the, in the set, uh, especially when we're the opening act. Yeah. So going from right to rock is your opening song into the Waylon and Willie thing. Man, it works great, and it, it really shows my heart, my personality, who I am, where I'm at in my life, and in my music at this time. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's it's been a great ride, and we have uh, a long way to go. And after all we've been through the last few years, uh, all these guys have stuck by me as uh, my wife and I battled her bout uh, with breast cancer. Uh, the the implosion of the badlands empire Mm -hmm. the the apocalypse so to speak when the smoke cleared we were still standing we were still brothers we were still smiling with a beer in our hand a beer in one hand a guitar in the other hand and uh that that those experiences have made this band extremely powerful and that hence the title track for our debut album fight like a band Will
3: uh, homes your cover of Homesick be on it? I I listened to that and I, it seemed like almost like a the perfect song to kind of the the sound you you're going for with this band. Is that fair? Or?
1: Yeah, it's a great guitar guitar anthem. You know, Southern rock uh, Man, you know. classic, and uh, the lyrics obviously hit home. I, I I'm a I'm big on lyrics. The lyrics have to say something. And, yeah, uh, they have to mean something. And uh, the I literally was no big master plan or anything. I was on the air, doing my DJ gig, and the song pops up on the playlist. <laughs> I hadn't heard it in a long time, and you know, it pops up. I go, "Oh, cool!" The Atlanta Rhythm Section, "Homesick," and I'm cranking it up in the control room, over the big speakers. And I said, "This is perfect for us. We're going to cut this." And we went in the studio and and uh, cut it. And that that song will be on the uh fight like a band album on EMP label group uh EMP Outlaw. Dave Ellison from Megadeth has yes. created a special imprint for this brand of music. It's called EMP Outlaw and uh David's really embraced what we're doing. And Tom Hazart, the uh, uh head of AR at EMP, these guys they wanted Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy. They wanted the Ron Keel band and they didn't want me to recreate anything from the 80s. They uh they, Dave, David Ellison set me down when we signed the deal set me across from the, tape, the table from me he said, Ron, sing your life. That's all. He said sing your cool. life. gave me the latitude to uh, to be myself and to to create a special brand of, of uh, metal cowboy music that uh, I think people are really gonna enjoy this. Did you ever run into Ellison back in the in
3: the 80s? you know it's because like thrashing like the sunset strip sound. Weren't really, um, you know, buddies back then.
1: <laughs> well, Dave likes to tell the story of how he and Mustaine went into the country club and saw Ingbe's uh, first gig with Steeler. Okay. And uh, Yngwie and I were together, and uh, of course, crossed paths through the years and really became friends in 2015 when David came out to Sioux Falls to do a, a, a benefit show. And we were his backup band, so to speak. So Dave, uh, we did some Megadeth tunes, uh, P cells, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know s- some some of the Megadeth stuff, some covers, and and kind of got fun. to know him a little better. Uh, of course, we'd always smiled and you know s- the, seen each other in passing, and we both have strong roots in uh, Phoenix, where David lives now, and where I grew up. So a lot of mutual friends and such. But that that experience of getting to work together and play together, he had. Doll Skin on the Bill, which is a great band that he's producing and managing. And uh, I got to learn a little bit more about what he was doing from a business standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, Mark Slaughter's album came out last year, and that really raised my eyebrows. That Slaughter Halfway There album on EMP is a very strong piece of work. And Mark Slaughter's a good friend of mine. And uh, I, I I got the feeling that Dave Ellison, Tom Hazard, and the folks at EMP knew what they were doing, and they were doing it right. So, I approached them first with the Ron Keel Band project. Basically, I said, I want to be on your label. They said, OK, here we go. And it was that simple. Uh, and here we are moving forward with two releases this year on EMP the uh, Metal Cowboy Reloaded album uh, coming out March 2nd, and the Ron Keel Band Fight Like a Band album coming out this summer.
3: Excellent. So, uh, everybody keep tabs on that. I'll be uh, looking forward to that too. Um... I got to talk about the Atlanta Kiss Expo. Uh, what what exactly will you be doing there? Um, I, I know you have it, some Kiss ties, but uh, let us know what to expect when we walk in the front door.
1: What do you mean some Kiss ties? What the hell is eh, you
3: know, you had a guy in the studio for a couple days.
1: Uh, no, I I've actually it was a couple of years actually it was two <laughs> albums a couple of years. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, joking. Uh, Actually, been able to jam and play music with Gene, Paul, uh, Bruce Kulick a number of times, uh, Eric Singer, uh, Mark St. John even. Uh, oh, jam- really? Uh, and a uh, lot, of, a lot of Kiss ties. And uh, the fact that I, I am a small thread in that big tapestry, uh, enables me to attend these Kiss expos, and I've done a number of them. It's been a while. But basically, for me personally, it's a chance to meet the fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. It's it's a nonstop meet and greet from the minute I walk in the hotel lobby till the minute I get back on the airplane two days later. Uh, you're just talking to the fans, shaking hands, taking pictures. I get to do a half hour acoustic show and play some of my music from back in the day and some some Kiss tunes and some new music as well. Uh, I'll have a table with my books and CDs and. Uh, photographs and just kind of really a, a convention style meet and greet for a couple of days and get to hang with the people and uh, Eddie trunk my good buddy Eddie trunk the guys from three sides of the coin are gonna be there uh, so it's it's kind of like a family reunion uh, I enjoy these experiences this is a big one because Vinny Vincent is the headliner and he doesn't get out much
3: yeah that's uh, that's that's pretty much the story you know that uh, is getting everybody buzzing but uh, have you ever had any interactions with him over the years?
1: No, I I, ne- I never have met Vinnie. Uh, he was long gone by the time I met Gene. So okay, oh uh, yeah, never yeah. Had any? Uh, you know, I, like I said, I've jammed with Paul. I've jammed with Gene, Bruce, Eric. I had had drinks with Peter Chris a couple of times. Cool. But I've never jammed with Vinnie Vincent. So who knows what could happen this weekend?
3: That would be awesome. Um... Well, uh, give us an update, uh, that l- let the people listening, uh, what's the latest on your wife? I know she had a, a cancer scare that you were, uh, you, you shared with people. So it, how is she doing?
1: Well, yeah, that was very public. And of course the, the diagnosis is a life changer. You know, once mm-hmm. you get that diagnosis and you know that you have stage three breast cancer, nothing is ever going to be the same. Uh, She's uh, gone through the radiation and chemotherapy and six surgeries with Beauty and Grace. She's stronger now than she's ever been. She's cancer-free. We have had a lot of friends and and people in the music business step up to the plate and and help with uh, fundraisers. Frank Hannon from Tesla, especially a good friend of mine uh, who went the extra mile and auctioned off a a guitar. Uh, As you know, it's it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And... uh, very taxing, you know, emotionally, personally, and in so many ways, but it's it's made us closer. It's made her stronger. It's made her even more beautiful in my eyes. She's cancer-free, but, you know, there, there is, is a new normal. Uh, you're never going to be the same after that diagnosis, and a lot of people know what I'm talking about. This uh, cancer thing has touched so many people's lives and people that we know and people that we love and, and family members and friends and uh, so I'm preaching to the choir so to speak a lot of people out there know what I'm talking about but it's been uh, it's been a tough ride it's been a tough year last year and uh, I want to thank the fans and the every all the supporters for just the love and the prayers and the well wishes and for following along on the journey and continuing to support me and my career because you know i I did take a step back after the diagnosis and I wondered what am I going to do? Am I going to be able to leave home uh, again? Am I, you know, do I need to stay here and just take care of her? And once we got through the first couple of chemo treatments and she was responding well and she had a, just a, a, an amazing positive attitude, that's when literally I, I decided to keep the band going and to keep the band moving forward. Uh, the the fact that. I'm excited about the new project. At the time it was, we were going through a name change. We were called Badlands house band. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we were homeless. So what am I going to (laughs) call this thing? Uh, I'm going to call it the Ron Keel band. It's my band anyway. And, uh, the guys really, uh, bonded together with me at that time and embraced the, the, the work ethic, the, uh, the journey ahead of us at the time to rebrand this thing as the Ron Keel band and try and, uh, continue moving forward uh, on a direction that would eventually find us signed to the emp label group and making our first album and touring with tesla and all the cool stuff that's happened but uh i think that uh the fact that i was excited and energetic and working and making music and i had had something to uh to make me feel good and make me positive i think she kind of fed off that uh she uh She enjoys seeing me happy and enjoys seeing me doing what I love to do. So uh, I think it was the right decision. Uh, I did at the time uh, try and steer my business model into a different direction in terms of, you know, what if I can't leave home anymore? What if I can't go on the road? I'm going to do concerts from my house. I'm going to do and I did a Facebook Live Concert mm-hmm. on my birthday from home, which got, I think, what, 12,000 views or something? It was, wow. You know, pr- pretty well re- received. And so I think I'm going to do a lot more of that in, in the year to come and uh, try and do some special broadcasts from the Fan Cave, basically my basement uh, studio where I have decorations hanging that have been gifts from fans through the years, banners, uh, posters, uh, autographs. Just, uh, I call it the Fan Cave because the the, the gifts and, and memorabilia are hanging around me here and in the basement. So I'll probably do do some more of those on my website at ronkeel.com and uh, try and reach some of the people uh, all over the world that maybe I I, I can't reach uh, in, in person on tour. So I'm, I'm going to try and do a lot more of that and be more active online both with kback.rocks, our radio station, and with ronkeel.com well, ron,
3: i i I gotta tell you, I could you almost every answer you give, I have like five or six like I want to talk about this and that. I could go on forever, but you've been very gracious with your time. Is there, and by the way, probably out of the, all the interviews I've done, you've done the best job of continuing to plug uh all things, Ron Keel. Is there anything we missed, anything we need to talk about that you need to get out there?
1: Yeah, we should probably talk about Ron Keel. yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, well, you know, you got to, and I get it, and I get it. You guys want to talk, and you know, every interview, by the time you get through the Ingvay and the Gene Simmons and the Steeler and the, you know, the the Black Sabbath, then, you know that that it, it's cool if you want to know about it. I would advise people to get the book. Mm-hmm. Which there we go. That's really a good place to really start. tells really tells the entire story in my and words The book's called Even Keel. Even Keel: Life on the Streets of Rock and Roll. Um, and I'm very proud of that work. It's a it's a fun, entertaining read and uh, a great ride because I don't throw anybody under the bus. I don't trash Ingbe or my ex wife or anybody. I I trash the author pretty good. If I (laughs) I I I I call it, you know, I I, the drugs, the adultery, the whatever I, I, I did, I cop to it, you know, and for the most part, it's a story about a, a, a guy who dreamed of being a rock star who made that dream come true and uh, fought hard and struggled along the way and reinvented himself a, a number of times. And uh, So I'm really proud of the book. It is time for a sequel and time for some of the untold stories, which Ooh. I'll probably unveil online at rodkeel.com.
3: Very <laughs> Very good. Um, well, I'll tell you this much. If the Ron Keel band ever gets to the tw- Twin Cities, I will personally make sure the first round's on me. Um, if
1: if my ass, dude, we're coming to the Twin Cities this year. Keep you, your eyes peeled at ronkeel.com. All right, well then look YouTube. for the Bro, yeah, we're coming to Minneapolis, man. Especially when the Vikings Win the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah,
3: right on. A little sports talk here at the end. So, are you like <laughs> are, are you are you follow sports much at all or are you a uh, fan I've... of
1: any any team? I am an NFL junkie. I'm a fan of the sport. Uh, it's my only real recreational hobby is playing fantasy football, lifelong <laughs> NFL junkie. And, uh, Who's your of team? course, living in the Midwest up here, what, five hours from the Twin Cities? Mm-hmm. you got to you got to bleed a little bit purple this time of year.
3: Well, that's, uh, that's good to hear, at least for my ears. So uh, hopefully we can uh, pull it out. It's never happened, obviously. And uh, as long as I've been watching, they've never even made it to the Super Bowl. That all happened before I was... You know, old enough to really pay attention. So,
1: oh, dude, can you imagine if they get there and lose to the Patriots or the Jaguars? I mean, yeah, it doesn't in, in that whole building. This is the every time you walk in there. This is the place we lost. Man, come on, man. That's some serious pressure, man. I wouldn't want that, but it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
3: <laughs> I agree. Yeah, uh, you know what? That that win last weekend was almost enough for me. I don't know that I need more. That uh, I you finally know, have hearing, that moment. I'm
1: hearing that from a lot of Vikings fans, and I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't be complacent with with the the, min, the Minneapolis miracle. It was an amazing game and an amazing play. We'll remember that for the rest of our lives. But uh, that could come back to bite them in the ass if they think, well, that was, you know, if that was enough for you or for the team then uh, it could bite him in the ass.
3: You know, I'm, you've convinced me. I'm now like Super Bowl or it's all worth nothing. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> Especially if you lose. Ron, it
3: was so much fun talking to you. uh, uh I, I don't re- often get to speak to somebody that I, I really do. Believe it or not, I do have a lot of passion for everything you've done. I, I I'm a believer in the hard work and the ethic that you you've put out there, reinventing yourself time after time. At no point did I ever uh, think it was a joke. Uh, you're just a just a, 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 the type of story that people need to hear more. Let's put it that
1: way. Well, I appreciate that, and thank you for letting me share some of that story with you on the podcast.